0: This is Deep Blue, where we get the true life stories of BYU athletes, coaches, and fans. Here's your host, Jerem Jordan. Today's guest is one of my best friends. I hang out with him more than my family at times. He's one of the nicest people I know. He's an amazing person and an incredible broadcaster. He is a man I asked Michael Miner to pursue in 2013 because I knew he'd help BYU TV Sports a ton. He's my partner in crime weekdays on BYU Sports Nation. He is Spencer Linton! That's the greatest introduction I've ever received. No,
1: really? That, it's going to be hard to beat that, oh, especially the okay. volume and the excitement at the end of that.
0: I'm just so stoked to have you here. I've always wanted to do a radio show with you. <laughs> so here we are. This is Deep Blue, and typically you and I are talking about other people. But this is a time that we get to talk about you, which is exciting. So I feel like I know you really well. I'm going to learn things about you I didn't know, so I'm stoked. But the audience, I don't think, necessarily knows your journey. Maybe they follow you on social media. Maybe they've seen things. But this is going to be fun. So let's start, let's start with some softballs, and then we'll get to some heavier topics, okay. certainly, about your life. How would you get to BYU TV, Spence?
1: Wow. Let's rewind to... Early two thousand thirteen. I had a thought based on a Facebook post I saw from you, Jerem Jordan, and the news that you and your wife Whitney were expecting your first child and thought, man, it's been a while since I caught up with Jerem. I should call him. And I was sitting in the parking lot at the Cantera Apartments where I lived in Palm Desert, California, across the street from the JW Marriott Desert Springs. I'll never forget it. And uh, had a few moments before I had to drive back to KESQ, the desert's Leader.
0: Oh, of course.
1: ABC and Fox stations there and do my weeknight sportscast and thought, this is a good time. And just finished up dinner and spending some time with my wife, Brittany. And we had one child. He was Jax, and uh, he still think, is Jax. Right? He's he's still Jax, <laughs> in truth. Um, and I think he was a little over one at the time. And so I thought, I oh, yeah, I need to get the the down low on on Jerem's family situation. So
0: and we had we had talked here and there since we graduated from BYU, which we'll get sure, into, sure, sure, and, and had interactions and even a show together. But this was a sort of reconnection. In fact, West Coast Conference basketball tournament, you came and. Covered someone from uh, the Inland Empire, and we hung out, and that was really fun. Yeah. It was great to connect again. And so this was just kind of a reconnection. Every couple months, maybe we'd communicate. You bet. You bet.
1: And so, yeah, I thought, what what better time? Let's just do it now. And gave you a call and kind of updated you on my life of what was happening in my professional career. And, you know, I made it very clear that my contract in Palm Springs was going to be up in the summer. So, four or five months from that this point. This was the spring, right? Yeah, because I think yeah. it was almost spring. I want to say it was like January or February of 2013.
0: I was in my office. I remember where, where it was. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. And um, so, I mean, in California, that point, it was prime time in the desert. So it probably wasn't great weather in Utah, but it was 75 degrees, you know.
0: Why'd you leave again?
1: <laughs> Sometimes I ask myself that. <laughs> no, I kid. Um, but... Gave you a call and then kind of just told you, hey, they want to renew my contract in Palm Springs. Uh, I'm thinking about pursuing a job at Fox 5 in San Diego.
0: There's With this, Ron Burgundy, that would have been a huge opportunity. Right?
1: Right? Taking over for uh, Champ Kind. Whammy! <laughs> Whammy! <laughs> um, so, I mean, there were opportunities out there and a station in Indiana was very interested. And But so I just kind of said, hey, I could stay here in Palm Springs, but... I may as well. You know, is there anything at BYU TV that you know about? And you paused for a second and you said, I think there might be. And I I was totally taken by surprise. I was not expecting you to answer that way because I just thought, "Ah, there's not, it's kind of hard to get in there. And you know, who knows what they're doing over there. It's BYU's independent. They got some shifting things. They've got Dave McCann and Blaine Fowler. And of course you're here, Jerem. And, Robbie Bolo's doing his thing, and but you said, I, I think we might have something. And I just, in that moment, I was like, oh, man, okay, maybe the door's open. Maybe, maybe this is my road back to BYU TV, and that just got the wheels turned. I got really excited that night.
0: In that moment, I felt like you were going to work here. I didn't realize I would feel that way. I don't know what that feeling is or means or where it's from. Because so much can happen, right? But in that moment, I knew you would be here. I didn't feel like, hey, we're going to have a show together for eight years. I didn't feel that. I just felt like, oh, you're going to work here, which would be really fun. And we'll get into our background, which precedes this. But in that that was a big moment. That was a really big moment.
1: Sure. And there are a lot of obstacles to get over. And so you informed me at that point that there was a play-by-play opportunity opening up. And... That it wasn't a full-time position, a three-quarter time position at the time. But Robbie Bolo, who uh, his name we already mentioned, said that he wanted to pursue other ventures. And our senior coordinating producer, Michael Miner, at that time was just beginning to look for another person.
0: So I'm like, I know a guy.
1: To fill that spot. Yeah. So you go to bat for me and I basically tell you, hey, just put my name in front of Michael Miner. I'll fly myself up to interview with him. Just give me a chance. And so this comes to fruition. We're talking in February, maybe a month later. It was March, uh, late March 2013. I I fly up from Palm Springs and get to BOA Broadcasting, connect with you. You welcome me into the building. And then I meet Michael Miner for the first time. And we go into conference room, two. And have like, I want to say like a 45-minute or hour-long conversation just about everything that uh, I do, my background, and what he's looking to accomplish by filling this position at BYU TV. And tells me it, right now it's three-quarter time. It's doing play-by-play broadcasting for most of the Olympic sports we have at BYU. Which, so that's
0: no salary, no benefits, by the way. Right. On three-quarter. And mind An you, opportunity, but still, it's like, oh. Man. You got an opportunity in San Diego, Indiana. Correct. Yeah.
1: So, mind you, my wife is teaching school in Southern California.
0: And teachers make bank. Yeah, We wish.
1: <laughs> they do make an okay wage in California. Thankfully, that's one good thing that California does. They actually kind of pay their teachers. We found the
0: thing besides the weather. Right. And Disneyland location.
1: Yes. And she had benefits, obviously, and they were fantastic. And then I had a full-time job at KSQ and full-time benefits there as well. So we're coming from dual income, one kid, plenty of benefits, nice location. And now I'm seriously considering leaving all of that and trying to convince Brittany that we need to move to Utah for a three-quarter time position, which I hope develops into something bigger at BYU.
0: It didn't, and you didn't come to BYU. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. It's
1: been a great conversation. (laughs) Um, But I felt so strongly that I needed to pursue this opportunity because I always wanted to make the transition to live sports from doing sports for a news station. I just wasn't sure how I was going to do that. And this obviously seemed like the avenue to get into that. And I thought, if I don't strike now when am I ever going to have another opportunity to not be just a television news sports guy and do play-by-play? And that's why I just feel like I was so willing to risk things. And then my wife says, well, I don't want to work anymore. So if we move, wherever your next job is, whether you renew here in Palm Springs, like I, I think I'm done teaching. I just want to be at home with kids and, and be a mom. And I thought, oh,
0: man. Okay. 3 quarter sounds wonderful, wow. right?
1: Wow. So I expressed my concerns to Michael Miner and say, I want you to know I'm willing and ready, and I feel like I'm totally capable of doing anything you put in front of me and, and performing that at a high enough level that I feel like I could add to your team. but. Is there anything we do about benefits or compensation, things like that? And so, I mean, BYU is a tricky place that way. Yeah,
0: he slid you 100K under the table <laughs> said, we got you.
1: But basically he told me, I appreciate everything that you've told me. Um, let me see what I can do and I'll get back to you. And so then it's always tough because this is the waiting game, you know, days, weeks go by. And then I get a call from him. It's probably been, oh, I don't know probably six or seven weeks, I get a call from him and he says, hey, I, I want to fly you up for media day in 2013. What he didn't tell me was, it was like my tryout. He just said, we'd like to put you on the air and, and you know, have you go to work for us as an independent contractor over media day. I said, okay. So I flew up and met with you.
0: I and, was informed that you were going to be on BYU football top 50 plays.
1: <laughs> as the fan perspective. As the, I
0: was like, Awesome. I know Spencer. This is great. Okay. Yeah, throw him in.
1: So put me into top 50 plays, uh, doing web chats on media day. And preceding that, I think we had a True Blue episode where we previewed the season and I did a package. And yep. here I am. I'm working. I'm told that I have an editor and I've got all these resources. And I've been working as a one-man
0: band. Welcome to the big leagues. So
1: I was like, Wait, I have people helping me? So you just need me to like write a script and voice it?
0: That quickly went away after you were hired. But yes.
1: <laughs> and so uh, we did this and everyone was really nice and uh, thankfully they were, you know, complimentary of of what I was doing and I just I just felt like home immediately. And so had a great experience over those four days. Didn't want to leave. I was like, can I just stay here and go to work? I, I I don't want to go back and finish my contract in the heat of the desert. But that was what was required and got back. And then Michael said, hey, we really like what you did. We'd like to offer you the three-quarter time position officially. Are you going to take it? And I said, I got to talk to my wife. You know? Are you going to take it in oh, that moment?
0: Oh, man. I remember <laughs> like, can I think about it? My
1: wife was at the at our – community pool because that's how you survive in 115 degrees and had jacks there and my mother-in-law was there as well and i remember thinking how am i going to shape this so that she's like yeah let's do this (laughs) and there was no easy way into it. It it's like okay i just feel really strongly that this is going to develop into something that we need like we need to do this and i know it's a risk right now But what do you think? You know, here are the figures. Here are the numbers. They'll try and compensate me because I'm not getting some benefits to try and make it a little bit more palatable. Can we do this? And all she said was, I don't want to work. You figure it out. If you're three-quarter time, I don't care what else you have to do on the side, but I just don't want to work. And then – we can go to Utah. And so I was really excited, but then I was like, oh, man, what am I going to do?
0: Some stress there.
1: <laughs> yeah. What am, what am I going to do?
0: Yeah.
1: We packed up uh, the moving van in late July and headed to Utah, arrived. And I'm not kidding you, 10 days before I arrived in Utah, Michael had floated out the idea, hey, how would you feel about hosting a radio show that airs on BYU Radio every weekday and my vision is that we would take this to TV at some point as well. How would you feel about being one of the hosts? And I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I would love to do that. And he said, no, well, obviously, if you do that, you would have to go full time. And then I was like, yes, where do I sign? Mm-hmm. Please, whatever. If it's the most horrible thing, ever. if it takes me full time status, let's do this. He's like, well, it's not a guarantee, but I just wanted to kind of gauge your interest. So I said, yes, I want to do that. We move up August 1st, and he says, Kay, we want you to be one of the hosts for the radio show. Now I got to talk to the people that hold the positions of power at BYU, and we got to make like an official job description for you as the first ever full time talent at BYU Broadcasting. Like, you won't do any producing, you'll just be talent. We don't have a position like that here. So it's going to take a little bit of time. And I was like, all right, cool. Yeah crazily, it only took like 10 days. On August 10th, he called me and said, congratulations, you're full-time. You're one of our hosts of our show that's yet to be named. I just got to find you a co-host. We need a title of the show and a producer. But you're going to be involved in your full-time. So just prepare for that. And I just I So was, many wins, yeah. I was feeling so grateful. And uh, I remember calling my dad, Kent, and my mom, Christine, and just saying, I can't believe this has happened. Like, I, I just knew... Uh, And again, it's one of those feelings, like you said, you knew you were going to work with me. I knew I needed to be here. I don't know where the genesis of that feeling was, but it's just overwhelming, like, you need to do this. You need to take the risk. You need to be there. This is where your career needs to go. Your family needs to be in Utah. You got to go back. Um, And so that I felt validated. It's like, oh, man, the risk was worth it. We're back. And I'm full time. But really, that was just where the journey was beginning. I, I mean, we, we and I had no idea what this was going to evolve into as of August 10, 2013. It's pretty
0: crazy. Three weeks later, BYU Sports Nation happens. <laughs> Let's go there. So there were other hosts selected that didn't work out for various reasons, politically, ecclesiastically, and otherwise. You and I, this falls into our laps. It really does. And I was deeper on the depth chart than you. It was like, okay, who's the host? Who's the co-host? We didn't really carve out the co-host part until later, by the way. It was just like two people. So you and I are talking in the hallway, and we just have great chemistry. We just talk. We go back. Well, again, I keep teasing it. We'll dive into it in a second. We did a high school sports show together called Sports Valley, where we covered Provo and Timview High Schools while we were BYU students together. You were two graduating classes ahead of me, but we called games and did a show every week that we didn't realize was the precursor to BYU Sports Nation in terms of talking about what's going on, interviewing athletes. We don't cover highlights like SportsCenter style on BYU Sports Nation, but we learned the craft in that moment. I was also working at BYU TV. You were working at the MTC teaching Korean, but we were getting into this. And then you go to Grand Junction. You actually asked me. If I wanted to come join you there, and I actually told you no, <laughs> which is hilarious, because um, I was pretty comfortable here calling best games decision you ever made for, saying no <laughs> probably. I've said no a lot in my life, um, and then you you end up coming back around, and Michael Miner sees us talking in the hallway, and all of a sudden, boom, we're on BYU Sports Nation, and so that was that was the career move of career moves the the break people talk about in this business. That was the break for me was you coming elevated me where I could be on BYU Sports Nation. Then all of a sudden, we're on the radio, which it's fun to be back to the roots with this show and doing radio as well for six months. And then we were on TV, and we've been on TV for eight years now, which is crazy. That fall, you say August 2013, literally August 10th, you said. Three weeks later on Labor Day, we're recapping in our first show ever, BYU Virginia. And we're off, man. It It was insane, and... So it was, like, really validating when, when I referenced that moment. You said, you know, I, I need to be here. Um, you need to take this. And, hey, we're going to work together. I didn't realize we are going to have a show together. No. That might literally, like, when I retire, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be defined by BYU Sports Nation in my career. That was a big moment. That was a big deal that you came here, that we could do this together.
1: We're approaching a decade of doing the show which just blows my mind. It's crazy. It blows my mind. I'm shocked
0: they still like it.
1: We're over 2,000 episodes in. 2,000 episodes. And I was trying to do the math the other day. I'm like, man, how many hours of preparation and just how many hours of TV in general? So if we're like over 2,000 hours, how many days does that equate to? And I'm like, I have spent so much of my life working in this building and being on live TV and radio, specifically reporting on BYU news. Like what, a,
0: what a tough gig we have. <laughs>
1: and people are it's like, oh, you're awesome. loving the dream job. You're right. We are experiencing the dream job in a lot of ways for a lot of people, and we do not take it for granted. It Sometimes when you grow outside of work, meaning like you have more kids, more responsibilities, this could be religious responsibilities, uh, callings, side gigs, Family things change like it that sometimes can kind of shadow in things, but I it doesn't take me long to kind of take a step back and be like, it's pretty stinking awesome that I get to go to BYU Broadcasting almost every weekday and just discuss BYU sports and the relationships that I have with the coaches and players and our relationship, our friendship, all of that. Reminds me that yeah, this is this is a dream scenario. People ask me all the time, "Where are you going to go after this? What what are you going to do next?" It's like, do I have to go? Do anywhere I have else? to? Do I go have somewhere? to leave yeah. to go somewhere? else? Where am I
0: going? Why are you pushing me? Like, what
1: what what should I be aspiring to? Yeah. You you tell me what what should I be aspiring to next? Because right now this feels like it's pretty darn good, and it's not like we're here and we're trying to plateau. We're constantly trying to build the product.
0: I'm trying to get worse. I feel like we peaked. (laughs) I feel like we're on the (laughs) downslope.
1: Like, that is the challenge is like, how do we evolve and stay ahead of the game? But having a daily show has been a game changer for BYU Broadcasting. We're the only daily live show five days a week, certainly on TV. I know that there are some daily shows that happen on the radio side. Oh, yeah. But... The TV side was that was a game changer, and so um, we're kind of like that news outlet. And going back to something you said about, you know, you you credit me for helping elevate you. Oh, I needed you to get back to BYU, and so there's this symbiotic relationship where we help each other and have lifted each other to the positions that we are. In now and continue to aspire to within the, the ranks of BOA broadcasting, but it's just such a unique situation. And the word blessing gets used way too much, so I try and stay away from that. But I do feel like this was a a blessing, and whether you buy into that, you know, the cosmos and religion and all that stuff, like here we do, yeah, yeah. I feel like it was a hand-delivered golden platter blessing to have this window open, this opportunity to take it, to take the risk, and then to watch what it's become. It's just been unbelievable in a lot of ways.
0: I also feel, in addition to BYU Sports Nation, like your brother-in-arms, because obviously we're covering BYU football and basketball and everything. There have been times where we actually cover the same teams together in ways. So you call... More, uh, you know, play-by-play games than anybody on the planet overall of UA Athletics. Okay? Because you do – let's talk about it in order. And I used to do this so I can appreciate it. 08-211. And then Robbie Bullo did it and now you did it. You do it. Uh, women's soccer, women's volleyball, women's basketball, gymnastics, baseball, and softball. You also sideline football pre-post coverage, men's basketball games, and pre-post coverage. And – I feel like you're brother-in-arms in in that way because if you can't do play-by-play on a game, I fill in. Yes. And if I can't do play-by-play on a game, you fill in. Men's volleyball, you've done this. So we're calling the other sports. Now, the other sports get left out in the convo quite a bit. But I feel like you and I, and many others, but you and I get the opportunity to be the primary broadcasters for these amazing Olympic sports. And we cover the ones that we don't do games for on BYU Sports Nation. So in terms of the whole athletic department, it's just – We're not the voice of the Cougars, Gregor Bell, but we're a different voice in the conversation of the other sports. And I really enjoy the storytelling we get to do, not only on the show, but in the games. Because honestly, I don't know if I've ever said this out loud in a recording, I like games more than I do studio shows. Because games are in the moment. It's
1: the true reality television.
0: Yes, I love the studio shows as well, don't get me wrong. Sort of the dust settles, you get to speak and, and talk about what's going on. But man, in the moment, in a game... Really special,
1: and I look at these opportunities that we have with the Olympic sports specifically, and I reference several conversations that I have with people when I travel across the country who obviously are there to watch the big money sports, football and basketball, and you know pay the money to go and watch the Cougars play in Knoxville, Tennessee, or in Murfreesboro or. Virginia or Washington, D.C. or wherever. They're all over the place. But they so often mention, I had no idea how much BYU Athletics as a whole accomplishes, and I wouldn't have cared about women's soccer or volleyball or baseball or softball or gymnastics or women's basketball or track and field the way that I do if it weren't for BYU Sports Nation. And so... While we understand that on the show, most people care most strongly about football and basketball, there is an opportunity and there is this interest in the high-level performing Olympic sports and the athletes and their stories and everybody's got a story, right? And we have been able to tell some incredible stories with athletes that are in less prominent sports that have been brought to the forefront because they have a unique path and a unique story. And I really like the opportunity to do that, whether it's, you know, on BYU Sports Nation or uh, telling their stories and showing their talents within the actual live broadcasts. It just, there's no place like this. It really isn't.
0: We're talking with Spencer Linton, sometimes called Spender Linton on BYU Sports Nation here on Deep Blue today. Okay. When did you want to be a broadcaster? How old were you?
1: Oh man, these all of these moments are very still, um, I don't want to call them surreal, but like I remember the details. I was on a field trip to KSL TV and radio, Channel 5. Which by the way,
0: you work at KSL TV as well, which is pretty gnarly uh, (laughs) and awesome, living that dream too.
1: So I I went down there for a Quarters for Christmas field trip, which uh, is a program that, you know, the local NBC station and uh, the radio people at Castle, they do to raise money for kids to have shoes and gifts over Christmas uh, that are in less fortunate circumstances. And I was uh, a member of my fourth grade student council at Clinton Elementary, the Cougars, by the way, and their their school colors were blue. So I've been associated with Clinton. Blue and Cougars. Yes, Linton from Clinton. And we got to come down and tour the studios. And we got to say our names on the radio. And I remember my dad telling me the night before, now, enunciate your name really clearly. Linton. Yeah, no, no, don't <laughs> don't say Linton. Say the T, you're Spencer Linton. We literally practiced it. And I was like, oh, this is so stupid and annoying. You know, whatever. I'll say it right. And so yeah, we got to like literally we like in a line in front of this microphone. They take us through the studio and they're like, hey, we got the student council from Clinton Elementary here and they're here to help raise money for quarters for Christmas. All right, guys, who we got here? Say your names. So said my name and I was like, that was amazing. I just said my name on live radio. And then they continued the tour and they took us into the television studio. And and this is at the time when because there was no internet and there just wasn't as much connection. Obviously, the news was a huge deal. I watched the news every night with my dad. I still can't believe my parents let me stay up until ten thirty. By the way, I'm like what? I put my kids in bed at eight thirty. <laughs> I like, they're up past nine. I'm yeah. like, oh, it's late. What the heck? They might watch the news every night with my dad in elementary school because I wanted to watch the sports and Craig Bowlerjack, the sportscaster, and. Carl Malone and John Stockton were in their heydays with the Utah Jazz. And it just, I mean, this This is is,
0: back when they'd get past the second round.
1: Right? Yes. Ah,
0: it hurts. (laughs) Too soon. It it hurts.
1: Um, But I just got to sit on his chair. I didn't even meet Craig that day. I just got to sit in his chair. He was on assignment somewhere doing some, uh, something, I think for a bowl game for BYU or something. And, but I just sat in his chair uh, on that old KSL set um with that you know with the cityscape backdrop that would be laughed at now but it, it was iconic for me and thought this is this is amazing like i'm set, i'm here like these are the tv cameras this is where he sits and and does his thing and does the sports cast and i just got so excited and thought i think i want to do this went home told my mom and dad like i got to sit in Craig Bullerjack's chair and I think I want to be a sportscaster when I grow up. And and to their credit, they were always encouraging of that. They saw the spark. They saw the energy that I had. And not many kids when they're, you know, nine or ten years old are like, yeah, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. But I.
0: Well, they say it. Right. But it doesn't always happen, which is fine.
1: I just set the goal. I set the path. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I I want to do that. And I think I had the wherewithal to know that I was not going to be a professional athlete <laughs> at a pretty young age. I liked athletics and I played a ton of sports. But I was like, oh, there's probably a good chance I'm not going to be John Stockton. So what's the next best thing? It's talking about it and getting paid to talk about it, hanging out with all the famous athletes. And I just – I wanted that. And so that that's kind of where the dream began.
0: What's the best – well, I know the answer to this, I think. but. Who or what has been the best kind of interview situation or broadcast experience you've had? Let's start with interviews. I think I know the answer, but I want to hear your answer. Because when you were in Palm Springs, you covered some really high, the highest level of tennis and golf specifically. Yes.
1: Yeah, it's going to be tough to beat the experiences I had in the Coachella Valley in, in the desert in California. Um, because of those rare opportunities. And I had the chance in 2012 to go to PGA West. And this was like a super secretive thing. I, because I done my due diligence and had covered events and was all over the place, often as a one man band, I developed uh, a nice rapport with the management. At PGA West, which manages nine courses, and they play a yearly PGA event there. And Mike Kelly was the, the general manager, and he called me up and said, Hey, what are you doing tomorrow morning? I said, uh, you know, nothing specifically.
0: Mornings or nights for you. <laughs> yeah, right. When you work in right? the news.
1: Yeah, you well, nothing, you know, hanging out until I go in for my shift. He's like, hey, bring a cameraman and yourself. And show up at the front gate to uh, the Nicholas and Palmer private courses at like eleven thirty. Say those names again, uh, Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, so courses they had designed, the two legends of golf. I thought, okay, cool, it's great. Uh, Can you tell me what's me? he's like? I c- just do not miss this. Just show up at eleven thirty, <laughs> have a cameraman, and trust me, it's going to be worth your time. I said, okay. So we are on our way down there and I have a buddy that's like, "Hey, my grandma lives on the Palmer Private Course and she just got wind that there may be some golf royalty in town." And I was like, "What?" So I was like, "Are we going to like meet like somebody super famous? Are we going to meet like Arnold Palmer or Jack Nicholas?" We get there and both of them are on the property. Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer at the same time celebrating something called Ernie's Day. And their friend Ernie was a big instrumental part of developing the game and course design. And all that stuff. He had passed away. They were back there celebrating Ernie's Day by playing on their own signature courses at PGA West with like a limited gallery. Maybe like a hundred total people knew about this. So there are like fifty people with the Nicholas Party and fifty people with the Arnold Palmer party watching these legends in the sport play their own signature courses. And I'm the only media member there with my cameraman. And they're like, hey, who do you want to talk to first? You want to talk to Arnold Palmer? I was like, uh yeah. <laughs> that would be great. So we go over and frame it up and we're I'm having an interview with Arnold Palmer. I just like I can't believe I can't believe this is happening. And I talked to him probably for ten or twelve minutes before he tees off. Super gentleman, just incredibly kind and really funny. Like, just had a great wit and a sense of humor about him. And then we watched him play like five or six holes, and he was playing with a high school kid that was a star in the area and two other people that were lucky enough to win whatever lottery they won to get to play with Arnold Palmer. And so it was just fun to watch it. And then it was like, okay, well now let's go over to the Jack Nicholas side. Like, all right, great. Go over. And there is the golden bear, the man who has won more major championships than any other golfer, even tiger woods. He's got 18 major championships and he's just driving around in his custom golf cart. And he's playing the Nicholas private course. And we do an interview with him. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this, how does it get better than this? I've, I've interviewed both of these legends of golf and we follow the Nicholas group for the back nine of his 18. And then we come back to the clubhouse and then Mike Kelly, the general manager says to me, Hey, do you want to do another interview? And I was like, well, whatever. I mean, we've got lots of great stuff, but yeah, I'm not going to say no. He said, well, what if you interview them together? Okay. So, uh, yeah, Jack and Arnold Palmer are standing next to each other while I interview them in like this tandem setup. And my first question to them is, how often do you two have an opportunity to meet up like this as friends and play golf? And Jack Nicklaus says, "Well, we meet every year at the the Par 3 course at Augusta Masters, and then we meet the next year at the Par 3 course at Augusta, and then we meet the next year." Like, once a year! They never do this! So, I was like, okay, this is super unique. And um, they just were so gracious. And, we, they, and they cracked some jokes, we had some fun, I turned it into, like, this m- massive special that we aired on uh, our station in a couple of different formats. Um, and then Jack, after the interview was over, said, hey, why don't you hop in the middle of us and take a picture? <laughs> so...
0: You're like, fine. <laughs> if so, you make me. There's this
1: goofy kid from Clinton, Utah, you know, in between these two legends.
0: Um, just What huge. was it like to peak in that moment right? in your life? I-, I thought to myself, like, <laughs> what?
1: when is it going to get better than this in terms of just, like, inclusion and, like, an interview? And
0: It, you know, it won't.
1: I've got my arms I'm around sorry. these guys. And Jack's patting me on the back and... Arnold's thanking me for being there and doing the interview and we're taking the picture and I'm just smiling, just cheese, cheesing like a goofball.
0: Like, like more than your picture with Ben Rector? Yes.
1: More. <laughs> Big, bigger smile on my face than the one I was with like, the, you were excited. one of my music uh yeah heroes, Ben Rector. Um, take the picture and I just had to pinch myself all the way back to the station. I was like, I can't believe that just happened. Like that was that was the craziest few hours that I've ever spent in broadcasting.
0: I'm like proud for you. I think I've even bragged about you in that moment. I was like, that's pretty cool, man. It, it, listen, covering BYU Athletics is pretty awesome.
1: Yes. That moment's
0: pretty special. Yeah.
1: I mean, we yeah. get to talk to a lot of really cool people. Jim yes. McMahon, Steve Young, Ty Detmer, all of the legends of BYU football, Danny Ainge. I mean, you talked to Danny Ainge earlier this year. And Rick Pitino for crying out loud during the BOE basketball preview. That, that is amazing.
0: But like Arnie and Jack, sorry. Crazy. That's the top of the mountain. Sure. It really is.
1: Um, interviewing Rafa Nadal at center court after he won the BNP Paribas Open was another crazy moment. Like just so gracious yeah. champion. Indian so-
0: Wells, man. BOE tennis plays there a bunch. Yes. yeah, That's right.
1: Yeah, um, Yeah, some really cool interviews for sure.
0: Okay. Tell me about your family dynamic. So how many kids are there in your family, and how did that shape you? And then let's talk about your dad. Okay.
1: So I come from a family of seven children, uh, my parents, Kent and Christine. Um, man, they they battled and journeyed, and they moved all over the Wasatch Front in Utah. Um, gosh, uh, I'm thinking about just – The places that I can remember they lived, they lived in Benyon, a part of Salt Lake City, and then they moved to Logan, and then to Bountiful, and then to Clearfield, and then to Clinton, just uh, in my lifetime, if not just before that. So they were all over the Wasatch Front. Um, But I'm number six of seven. Got four older sisters, Lisa, Laurie, Liz, and Lindsay. And then I have an older brother that's uh, nestled in between a couple of the sisters, Trevor. And then me, and then a younger brother, Tanner. So, and there are seven, almost eight, full years between Tanner and myself. So I was the baby for almost mm. almost eight years. That, that was that was that's a gap, man. That was a surprise for sure. Um, but yeah, very loving family, incredible parents. I'm kind of uh, a little bit of a black sheep in that, like my family's extremely musical. Um, and a few of my siblings went to college on music scholarships and my dad was in one of the top 40 barbershop quartets in the country and wrote music. In fact, he turned down at one point (laughs) Olivia Newton-John who heard one of his songs and she wanted it and he was like, nah, I'm saving it for a movie. So I'm like,
0: dad, what were you thinking? Did it make a movie?
1: (laughs) It... It never got made into a movie. Oh. Ah. Oh. Uh, in wow. fact, we, we always joke that we're still going to figure out a way to make his movie. Um, <laughs> but he did produce the soundtrack for it and, got, I mean, just some really, really solid songs. He, my dad had a talent for writing music and um, that was passed on to many of my siblings who, you know, now Ross, my little brother, is a musical genius. He's got perfect pitch. He can play a bunch of instruments. You know, he's, he's awesome. Um, but I'm just like the sports guy, right? So I love music. I love to listen to music. I like to sing.
0: You like to dance.
1: I do like to dance on occasion, you know, for better or worse. But
0: <laughs> you, uh, What do people need to YouTube for the NSYNC music video from high school? Oh, boy. Yeah. You don't have to say. <laughs> I'll tweet that out later. Um,
1: yeah. It, it, music has been a big part of my family's life um, and has kind of shaped – how we do things and, and what matters to us, but I I chose the sports route and I like going to concerts with you and we've doing, been to a few doing stuff like that. And what 21, 21, 21
0: that been Pilots. Twenty one Pilots. We've been smashing to pumpkins. Uh,
1: Jimmy World. Jimmy
0: World. Guster. Gus. Yes, we've been to at least those four. Yeah, right? solid. Yeah,
1: right. So yeah, music's a uh, big deal. Um, But uh, I guess I started into my own family life when I married my wife, Brittany, met her in Las Vegas. She happened to be going to BYU, but we we met down in the desert. I was visiting my sister, and we got married in 2005, and unbelievably, I've been married for 16 years now. We have four kids. Uh, You sound old. I know. I know. They range in ages from nine to... um, Almost six months. Jax is my oldest boy. He's nine. And I have a boy named Jet. He's five. And a little girl named Sailor. She's three. And then a little girl named Navy. And she's six months. little
0: girl named COVID? Yeah. <laughs> COVID, baby! Co- a, co- a COVID baby. COVID, baby. We survived it. Yeah. You, oh, you, yeah, you sound super old, but you're not. I, I don't know how you feel, but I still feel like I'm at BYU as a student, minus the student part, the class part. <clears throat> I, I enjoy interacting with our students being on campus, feeling that youthful energy. you we, We've been told by our producer, Ben Bagley, to not ever tell our ages. We're, we're <laughs> going to say our ages here, okay?
1: Yes. Yes. I'm so,
0: 37. And I'm 39. But we feel like we're 27 and probably 29 or something. In fact, I had... It, until I pay my bills and I go home. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I had one of, our, one of our good friends who we covered for what felt like forever, at least... Six years, five years, Micah Simon, former BYU receiver. Micah Simmons. Okay. Yeah. He's now with the Carolina Panthers, trying to make a 53 man roster out in Carolina. Uh, recently I was in Charlotte on a very quick trip and had an opportunity to eat dinner with he and Brady Christensen, who was drafted by the Panthers. And he didn't know how old I was. And how so old did he think we're, you we're talking. And so I just said, you guys guess. So I had Brady and Micah like guess my age and, um, He's like, I don't know, like 30. And <laughs> and Mike is like, yeah, say something. Say like 29 or 30. I'm like.
0: This is a blessing. I'm
1: 39. They were. Bl- Mike was like, what? You're 39? What are we
0: doing at <laughs> dinner with you here? This
1: is so weird. It's like I'm, I'm having dinner with an old man. Oh, I know. I You're know. Like,
0: Do you know where the newspaper is? Do you still want to watch the news at night? <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> because I am, you work for KSL, th- Thankfully,
1: I'm not there. Like, yeah. I, I feel like I'm in this weird middle ground. Um, middle aged. Jamal
0: Williams yes. called us two vanilla middle aged men. Yeah, my middle aged vanilla that's men. That's the perfect description yes. of who we are.
1: Yeah, that's totally fair.
0: Yeah. Okay, you talked about your family. Let's talk about your dad. Your dad has had a massive influence on your life. Mm. And you received some bad news a few years ago where suddenly he had cancer. Yeah. How did this affect you at the time? And tell people about the influence he's had on your life and the story around when he did pass away and where you were and what went down. Sure.
1: So Kent Randall Linton um, has has always been a guy who is just the supreme optimist. And, you know, so when I found out That he had prostate cancer in, I wanna say this was December of 2016. I almost didn't believe it. I was like, "Eh, no, it couldn't happen to him. Like, there's no way. Like, he might have it, but well, if he has it, it can't be that bad. It just, it almost felt fake. Like, I I, I was in denial, denial, total denial stage. It's like, cause I could still talk to him and call him on the phone and he seemed to be in good spirits and, know, he's like, yeah, a little uncomfortable here and there. And, but I, you know, I'm doing okay. What I didn't understand was he was masking a lot of things. You know, he, it was very uncomfortable for him and, um, it really had impacted him because the cancer had, they caught it too late. It was already stage four. Mm. And so it had already spread to the surrounding tissues of the prostate and, what they feared the most into his bones. And once it gets that far along, like it's, it's a steep hill to climb to get out of it. But I mean, he did such a good job of masking that stuff that I was like, Oh, he's, you know, he's fine. He's, he's my dad. He's, he's my hero. It's, he's going to, we're going to beat it. We we're going to overcome this thing. It's going to be okay. And what was really frustrating to learn was that he had been experiencing symptoms for a number of years, but They had just not been able to pinpoint it when he was living in Florida and finishing out his professional career working at Cape Canaveral for an independent contractor for NASA. Um, They were far away from us, but he'd been going through a lot of these pretty significant symptoms. And the doctors in Florida just said, oh, you know, it's okay. It's normal male issues. He's got an enlarged prostate. Like we see this all the time. We're pretty sure he had cancer for like six or seven years. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So... My mom's really frustrated because they didn't catch it in time, and it's hard not to wonder. Well, what if, you know, what if he'd gone to the right doctor, the right oncologist, and they they had like located this? Like, would he still be with us? And that's a hard game to play because, you know, you you just feel like you could have changed some things. What if we just done this? Um, But it does no good. So. When we realized that it was stage four and we were to a scenario where it's like, OK, well, what's I, – I hated to ask the question. But I was like, well, what, time, what kind of timeline are we dealing with? And the doctors had said, well, it could be anywhere from, you know, 10 months, a year, 14 months, maybe a couple of years if things go well. We'll see. And then if he responds to treatments, then maybe that time gets longer. Um,
0: That's sobering news. Right like, Whoa.
1: So just totally sets you back. And then it's like, well, I just, I want to make sure that we create memories and we do some things. And so I just sat down with my parents one night in early 2017 and said, let's make a bucket list. You know, let's, I, I know this is weird to do this, but like, I, look, what, what do you want to do? What, what kind of things do you want to experience? And you know, listening to them list off things, it was clear that family was everything. You know, I just want to spend time with my kids. I want to go to my favorite places, Bear Lake, Idaho. Um, I want to, you know, tour some temples for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that have been newly built in Star Valley, Wyoming. And um, I'd like to go on a train trip. And But all this stuff was centered around family. I thought, okay, let's make it happen. And my parents, to their credit, I mean, they just they did a good job of masking how difficult they had things in life. Um, my, you know, it, for whatever reason, my dad is as accomplished as he was, and as talented as he was, had a hard time holding on to consistent employment for a lot of his adult life, and so just job to job to job. That's why we moved so much, and so we were very very um, humble means for my family. We didn't have a lot of money, um, and so. You know, thinking about wanting to do all these things, like it was going to cost a lot of money, and so I opened up a GoFundMe and was just like, "Hey, this is a situation. My dad's my hero. My mom's my hero. They're my. I love them. I want to. My dad's got cancer. It's pretty far progressed, but we want to make sure that he gets to experience some things that that he matters or he cares about that matter to him most. And people were incredible. You know, and just in a matter of days, like we had raised." all this money to go and do this stuff and that was super touching um but even then while we're doing these things i keep thinking he's not really dying is he? he's not really dying like he's he looks he looks okay and then um you kind of start to see his health decline a little bit he loses some weight he loses some color in his face he's not able to like be as active as you want him to be cuz it's like hey let's go play golf he's like i you know i I can't do that. My, you know, my bone, my bones hurt. And, you know, I might do something. And it's like, then it starts to set in. Um, but BYU Athletics and, and you were incredible. They, BYU football team, they honored him as a true blue hero. They brought him in, they made him feel important. And, you know, that's one of my favorite things that I have from my dad is that story. Whenever I'm missing him a lot, I, I can search his name and search that story and go back and you know, I can hear his voice and I can listen to him and, and see his smile and, you know, see him shed a few tears as he's talking about his life and and just hear about his faith and his, you know, he had just this incredible faith that things were always going to be okay. No matter how hard things got in life, it would be a good ex- like experience for him to work through. He would learn a lesson from it and then he would he would advance on. And and he wasn't scared to die. And I mean, I was more scared for him to die. And I think all of us as siblings and my mom were more scared for him to die than he was. And that was just a real testament to who he is as a person. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, that, that's a lot. I know there's a lot of emotion involved there, but that's kind of the mindset that I was going through at first was denial. And then you start to see it set in. But just to see like the community rally around him and, and the people that, he impacted and, and what he meant to them, that was that was pretty incredible.
0: The day is September 29th, 2016. It's the day before BYU at Toledo. You had said goodbye to your dad. He passes away that day. And then you're on the road at Toledo doing a hit on BYU Sports Nation at the very end of the show. We talked to you about BYU Toledo. But then we take a moment and talk about your dad, Ken. Why did you feel like you still needed to be on the air and do your job. I've never asked you this question.
1: I was talking to my mom about this um, just a few weeks ago, and I I felt like I needed to clarify it with her Um, because I think some of my siblings were like, what are you doing? Where, Where are you going? Because I got the call that week on a Monday and went down, and immediately, you know, my mom said, I had a great Sunday with your dad. We had a fun conversation, a good dinner, and then he woke up Monday morning and he was just mostly unresponsive. Like he just was tired and he's having a hard time formulating sentences and I'm being told that he's transitioning. And I thought, no, 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 no. Again, denial. No way, no way, no way. And so my wife, Brittany's like, you need to get up to your house, go stay with your mom. And so got up there, had a brief conversation with them, you know. Cracked a few jokes just to kind of make him smile. And, you know, he told me he loved me. And, and then we talked a little bit more on Tuesday. But then it got to the point where it's pain management and he's being medicated so heavily that he's really not with it. And that was tough because all of my siblings are coming in and they each had their moment to kind of say goodbye to him. But before he got so heavily medicated that he's just out of it until essentially he passes away. And so it was, yeah, it was, it was tough to, because he, he didn't want to be medicated, you know, it was uncomfortable and he just wasn't himself. And, you know, you don't want to picture your parent like that in their last days. So I think that might've played into a little bit for me was, I don't, I don't know that I want my last images of my father to be this, and so that kind of got it, and I was like, and I know I have responsibilities before with BYU football, but had I opted to stay, like it, I, it would have been fine. Like we would have figured it out. At like totally your parents passing away. Like it, it's you work around it. But I, I wanted people to know my dad, and I wanted to utilize that platform to explain to people how much he meant to me and my family and he was not a guy that was given a lot of notoriety because of his humble scenarios and um you know didn't come from a a family with a ton of money it i i felt like i wanted to tell his story and so i was like i i want to go because if this happens then I've got a microphone to explain to people what he means to me and my family, and it's important that my dad receive and my in my mind what what I felt was be the proper recognition for who he was and what he did because um it's so often you know we're in the spotlight you and i we're in front of a microphone in front of a camera we're talking, we get to tell our stories and things but He was the guy along with my mom that was sacrificing things that he wanted all of the time so that I could have the cool kid pair of basketball shoes when I was in fifth grade. You know, they're they're purposely avoiding spending any money on themselves so that they can scrimp together enough just so that I can have a nice pair of basketball shoes. And they're the people that are putting me through my mission to South Korea and he's unemployed for 22 months while I'm on my mission and not telling me about it because he doesn't want me to worry about it. You know, I mean, those are the types of things that my parents were doing and finding ways that still like supplement me while I'm out and about and doing things and always the constant support and the people that, you know, that believed in me and my dream. So I... I felt like it was important that people know um, how much of an influence and, and how much of a VIP he was to me and to the world, albeit he was under the radar most of the time. And it was incredible to see the people that showed up at his viewing and his funeral with the little interactions that he had, how much of an impact he had had on them. And, um, that was probably, you know, it's always sad. I mean, just, it's an awful thing to lose a family member, but when you see the impact they had on people, that is a tender mercy, you know? So, um, I'm glad you asked that question because it, like I said, it did come up with my mom, but I, I, I wanted to utilize that opportunity to let people know how special and unique he was.
0: That's some powerful stuff, and Kent was always super nice. Uh, I really like Kent. I like you, therefore I like Kent. But then I got to know Kent, and I was like, oh, maybe that's why I like Spencer, because <laughs> Kent is such an awesome dude. And, yeah, that uh, you know, true blue hero was really special, and we aired that that day um, after we did the hit with you on the show. And so it was an emotional day. It really was. and uh, But I remember Eric Mateos, the offensive line coach for BYU, saying, look at Spencer out still doing his job and like honoring his dad in this way. And that that was a really powerful post about kind of what you chose to do in that moment. So I don't know how we're going to transition out of that because that's really emotional. But what what or who, and, and your dad certainly is a part of this, has has made you who you are today? That's at the heart of this show because I see who you are, but who or what has made you what you are today?
1: Yeah, obviously a lot of that goes to the upbringing of a family and and just how you're raised and and who you're around but i think not just my parents but i think all of my siblings who have been around me have kind of shaped me into the person that i am because i can draw upon specific scenarios from my older brother trevor i mean he's i love trevor by the way he great. put the competitive spirit into me and it was not always fun you know it's not always fun when he's you know <laughs> because this is what older brothers do, telling me that he knows where I sleep and <laughs> that you know he knows what I care most about, and if i do if I take one wrong step, he's gonna take my bike or you know he's gonna <laughs> yeah you love older brothers um but he really helped me develop a love for sport and competing and working hard and training. He was the kid that would wake me up at six o'clock in the morning to go work out at the rec center with him because he wanted me to be a good basketball player. He wanted me to be able to, you know, experience playing on the varsity basketball team. He's the one driving me to tournaments, things like that. So and I look at my sisters, um, each and every one of them, you know, has very different, unique, I don't want to call it skill set, but just like attributes Um, Lisa is my oldest sister and she's just, she's a classic oldest sibling, get it done, responsible, like everything's in order. Um, and she's dependable as be, as can be. My sister, Laurie, her kindness, which is, you know, I feel directly pulled from the kindness of my, my dad and my mom. I, you know, one of my greatest bits of advice I got from my dad was just be kind to people. Just be kind.
0: You're like kind to a fault. Like you're so nice like the nicest person I know. Seriously.
1: Well, that, that comes from my dad and Laurie. And then I look at my sister, Liz, who was just, she loved to be out and about socialized, social butterfly, talking to everyone and the center of attention. And there's a portion of that in me. I already talked about Trevor and my sister, Lindsay, uh, who is one of the most selfless people I know. Like, I draw not only from my parents in that regard, but there's this innate desire to want to help people that don't have as much as I do because of the examples that have been set before me. And then I'm looking at my younger brother Tanner and just seeing how humble he is with all of his musical talent. And he just, so I, I draw from my entire family. I feel like pieces of my parents and my siblings are all kind of, Ingrained in me. And now I'm seeing that start to happen with my wife, Brittany, who is the most, I mean, she has the most integrity and honesty of any person that I know. Like sometimes I wish she could lie to me. Like, hey, hon, how do I look? <laughs> mm, not great. Like, oh, no, tell me that I look great. You know, like she, she will tell me, she just cares so much about being truthful and honest and forthright and having integrity and now that is something that you know I'm aspiring to employing from and um I'm, i don't know i'm just i'm really enjoying the whole family aspect of all of this but yeah you know, that's a great question um and one that i probably haven't spent enough time thinking about of why i am who i am and why i'm shaped and you know faith and religion and all of that stuff factor into that as well but i was put on that path by the example of my dad and my mom like it it's always been about forgiveness and kindness, and understand that you don't have a full picture of what everybody's going through. So just give people the benefit of the doubt and be kind. Be kind.
0: I think that's a great way to end this. Uh, I really do. Be kind, rewind. I think that was a movie, right? With Jack Black? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Spencer, we could seriously spend hours, um, but here we are with a limited amount of time. Obviously, people can catch you on BYU TV on BYU Sports Nation, KSLTV, Uh, locally in Salt Lake City as well, and of course, watching BYU sporting events. This was really fun. I felt like I got to know you even better, so this was totally worth it, at least for me. Hopefully, it was for the audience as well. Thanks for taking a few minutes.
1: You bet. Great to be with you, and uh, my apologies for rambling on about my family, but that's what this show is about, right? No
0: apologies. (laughs) The podcast is the longer form of this. If you're listening on BYU Ready, you get the full version. Spence, thanks, man. I appreciate you. That'll do it for us. You can watch these Deep Blue stories on the BYU TV app, listen to previous episodes of the radio show on the BYU Radio app as well. For Spencer Linton, producer Trent Reimschusel, I'm Jerem Jordan. We'll be back every Saturday with more compelling Deep Blue stories right here on BYU Radio.